I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Today's show is sponsored by Coinbase Prime, a leading prime brokerage for digital assets. While Coinbase is widely known for its retail business, Coinbase also provides the bridge to the digital asset world for institutional investors, high net worth individuals, financial institutions, and corporate investors. Through their professional trading platform, deep and diversified liquidity, execution expertise, and Coinbase custody, one of the largest and most trusted digital asset custodians, Coinbase Prime is a solution for institutions looking to enter the digital asset markets. For more information, visit prime.coinbase.com. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer, and I love having people come back. I have Jack, the CEO of Scale Labs, with me today. Jack, how are you? Doing great. David, thanks for having me. You are very busy, and this is uh, being recorded on Tuesday, December 1st of 2020. We actually spoke, I think, at the beginning of 2020 when the world was starting to get to be a little kind of a weird place, and I think we've normalized that a little bit, but... Hopefully, better days are on the the horizon for us, but we are going to talk a lot about what's happening with you guys at scale because there's been a lot of news and there is some news that just popped over the last few hours uh, about a listing on Binance, Hoboy, and Uniswap, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and that is massive news, so congratulations to you and the team. But what we'd like to do, we're not going to go back through the whole kind of tape on what you've done before. Again, people can go back to the library on iTunes or Spotify or wherever they find podcasts, and they can find the one that we recorded. But what we'd like to do right now is, you know, basically, for those that are listening right now, and scale plays a very important part of the overall ecosystem, especially on the Ethereum side. If you were talking to people out there, and we were seeing a lot of interest now from institutional investors, from family offices, they're starting to get really involved in this because of the inflation conversation because they're seeing, you know, that there are some problems in legacy internet. And so they're taking a real hard line look at a lot of this, but a lot of them don't know things beyond Bitcoin because Bitcoin has gotten the mainstream media attention for the last decade, if you will. And so put yourself in that kind of a footstep. You're talking to hundreds and thousands of people right now who are just learning about Ethereum and just learning about what's being built on there. For them, what is Scale's purpose and what is its kind of special sauce, if you will? What What is really the value proposition? What kind of problems are you trying to solve? Problems is a probably not the greatest word, but what are you trying to help? What are you trying to facilitate? Yeah, and, and David, thanks for that intro. I think that's a, a really good, a good tee up for me to, I think, first talk about decentralized applications, okay? And uh, I'll add decentralized finance. So one thing we've seen Bitcoin do very well is take a centralized middleman, a centralized governing group, and absolutely remove them from the equation 
and use blockchain to have currency as a utility, right? And so it's a currency or a store of value, and we get this community-owned currency or store of value, depending on your, your perspective on, on the narrative. But um, when we think about decentralized applications, it's really a similar thing. Instead of having a blockchain support just money or storing value, the blockchain is supporting applications. And so then the question is, well, why would somebody want to use a blockchain for an application as opposed to just using AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, et cetera? And the reason is, is people that people are recognizing that there's dramatic upside in community-owned software and community-owned business models where we can remove uh, middlemen from equations and launch decentralized applications with more community-owned value. Now, this doesn't, there's a spectrum here. It doesn't need to be entirely Bitcoin-esque business, like, hey, someone's going to disrupt Uber and have a completely, you know, ground up community-owned product, that I think will happen. But I think the more interim steps, we're going to see centralized businesses start applying decentralized uh, elements to their go-to-market and giving up control and ownership, giving more visibility, immutability, uh, group control with on-chain voting, et cetera. Right. And so Ethereum is the place that happens. And that's where, where scale is. Scale is here to support really internet style growth for the Ethereum network because the current structure cannot grow to hundreds of millions of users. And that's what scales is, is here where, why scales here and, right. and what its core purpose is. So I had to try to explain this to my wife last night who I've obviously educated for the last few years to ad nauseum on her side. And I, I appreciate the time that she lets me kind of wax on about these things. I'm sure everyone with their significant others and their husbands and wives in, in this space always have to hear about the things that we're obviously working on, investing on, you know, trying to build. But I was trying to explain to her what you were doing. And so walk me through this. So I explained to her that Ethereum is kind of like a highway. And so you have lots of cars on the highway. They're all going in one direction. And so you have each one of those cars could represent, you know, a DeFi transaction or it can represent an NFT or it can represent a gaming kind of transaction or something that's happening on a game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what happens is that it starts to get kind of like Los Angeles. You start to, you know, Los Angeles around four o'clock in the afternoon, you get bumper to bumper traffic. And so if you want to kind of get away from the traffic and go to like that special HOV lane, you know, you can kind of pay a little bit more. And this is what we call gas in the Ethereum side and kind of expedite that transaction to make it go faster. And so is that kind of the correct kind of metaphor or way of kind of painting the picture of what's happening with Ethereum and how you and scale are trying to solve some of those issues? Yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this analogy. I think it's a really good one. So you let's let's look here. We have the we've got the 101 or the 10, you know, going horizontally across LA and it's just jammed. Mm -hmm. But hey, there's a lot of visibility, there's a lot of protection and security on this big highway. Um, and when you think about scale, scale is another blockchain network. And what scale is, it gives every single car or application, whether this be a DeFi application, uh, game, a web three product, uh, ad tech product, uh, you know, uh, B2B, um, you know, SaaS product, whatever it is, you actually get your own lane. And so you pay now. The, and so the scale network, a thousand computers in the network or nodes could be running 8,000 of these different blockchains or lanes. 
And you know what? You can run, you can drive as fast as you want in your lane and uh, connect back to the main lane when you want to for your users. So it's really there as a side support mechanism. But the interesting thing about it is, and I'm going to use, I'm going to get back to kind of pure tech. And the interesting thing is when we think about Gmail, Twitter, Uber, all these products we use every day, they all have their own lanes. These are databases that they rent. And if, you know, if something's trending on Twitter, it doesn't cost me more to send an email on Gmail because they're not sharing the same lane. In Ethereum now, if some, if some game or something's happening, like the scale network's going live and all these gas transactions are going yesterday as all these tokens unlocked from 4,000 people, the gas prices got really high. And then people that have uh, business applications on Ethereum and games, all of a sudden it costs you more to play your game. Now, Scale fixes this because every application, game, DeFi app has their own database. And just like that we do in the centralized world. So we're mimicking and emulating this Web2 structure uh, of these weekly link separate uh, databases that all speak through the internet together. But in this case, they all speak back to the Ethereum mainnet and they also can speak to each other. So it's a, it's a combination of you get your own lane, but there's value in that because you're not impacted by other people's successes or failures in terms of your performance or price. Right. And for people that are listening, Imagine you're riding that lane every single day. You know, you go to work, you get in your car at 7.30 in the morning, you have to get there at 8.30 in the, in the morning, you're riding the same pathway back and forth, you know, to and from work uh, and to, you know, your, your day-to-day. Correct me if I'm wrong, effectively, is that with what you've built, if it's the same type of, you know, kind of, we'll call it obviously a trip, you know, back and forth from work to home, you know, this can be obviously a transaction or something that you do on a regular basis. With the idea of elastic side chains, is that something that if there's repeatability, that it's something that can be done even faster? Yeah, there's so the less that people have to actually go back to that main road, the greater the cost savings, uh, the greater the speeds. And especially if you, you know, hey, I want to, my business partners with yours and I want to ride on your lane for a while, our lanes need to talk. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's tremendous advantages. You don't always have to go back to the 101 right. and then back over. Um, right. And that's one of the, I think the, you know, there are a lot of net, uh, I, I've been doing tech startups for a very long time and, you know, big believer in network effects and power laws and, and the, there's network effects in the scale network when it comes to one security, the more and more lanes there are and the higher the value of the token that's staked into these lanes means the more security. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a developer, you're like, hey, I want to join, I'm going to just join a copy of Scale or another competitor. Well, you know, look at all the security over on these lanes. Like, let's go to that one. I know my car is going to get to where it needs to go. Right. The other piece is when all of these lanes need to talk, they can actually talk to each other really quickly without needing to wait on the mainnet to interact. And so the more and more of them that are there, there's a, a network effect and they get optimized interactions and composability that we're used to seeing right now, just Ethereum within Ethereum. And hey, there's many use cases where it's still going to be back to the main net, back and forth. But um, scale is unique in that it it drives these network effects, which in open source environments where code is not a moat once it's live, you need to have community and economic moats. And that's something I think is really interesting about, about the scale network. So we're going to talk about some of the use cases. We kind of alluded to it. We've already been kind of dancing around it, but you uh, on your blog, and obviously we'll put that in show notes. There's some great writings there about the way that you guys are processing things and the way that you're thinking about things. But I love this. So for decentralized finance or DeFi, 
In the 1800s, and this again is coming from your blog, in the 1800s, people used to send maybe one letter a month. Then in the 1900s, telephones became available, and for $1 a minute, you could even call long distance to other countries, maybe a few times a month. With SMS at 20 cents, people might send a few messages a day. Peak SMS globally was 20 billion messages a day. Then with WhatsApp, email, and other messaging apps, drove the cost per message down to zero, and we saw a true explosion in messaging. Hundreds of billions of messages are now sent every day, and it is not uncommon for someone to send 40 messages in an hour. God only helps, and I know I've done that before. Um, so this is in relation to DeFi. Um, and so with DeFi, we have saw this amazing explosion in the reimagining, as I like to call it, of lending, of borrowing, of collateralization. And so these are heavy transactions. These are very fast transactions at times. You have people moving in and out. You have people collateralizing. You have people creating CDPs. Lots of different activities there. So talk to us about Scale's purpose within this explosion of DeFi, which as of today, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, reached almost 14 billion in total value locked, whereas in April it was about 830 million. Yep. You know, and the the fun thing about DeFi right now is that it hasn't even crossed the chasm yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm sure a lot of people listening have, have read or are familiar with Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm from now many, many years ago, but it's an incredible book. And what this means is, hey, there's these early adopters and innovators, but we still haven't gotten over to the mass audience or the use cases, I think, that we're going to propel things forward. So this value in DeFi really right now, I my personal belief is the majority of it is about centralized disruption within blockchain and within crypto. Um, so you think about it, these automated market makers are really doing the job of these centralized market makers combining forces with centralized exchanges. And then all of a sudden, these communities can say, hey, like, we don't need you, you centralized exchanges. We have, we're taking Bitcoin and Ethereum and scale and all these other assets over here. And we're able to, you know, do the work of that happens on Wall Street and that happens in, in crypto and the centralized world over here. Now that's, that's this like, but it's still kind of this crypto and crypto cycle. And I think we're really, and we're already starting to see this, but we're seeing uh, a growth and explosion of DeFi where, hey, we're, we're disrupting not just brick and mortar like these, like, you know, neobanks. We're actually disrupting incentives because we all of a sudden don't have these big, heavy institutions that are securing our money and collateralizing. We have groups and communities and blockchain, essentially, and pools of liquidity and money at risk with smart contracts that are, that are policing uh, the action that are working. And, right. and we're going to start seeing savings accounts, investments accounts, loan collateralization, um, all, you know, CDs, all, all these different unique, all these different products that we see in the, the centralized banking world start mm -hmm. really becoming more mainstream with a decentralized backbone. Now, what Scale does, Scale gives low cost, high speed, and near instant finality, okay? There's no 15 to 45 seconds. $50, $20, $100 transactions. We're talking like, you know, less than a second fraction uh, of, uh, you know, fractions on fractions of pennies because it's a software as a service model in a decentralized fashion. They're not paying per transaction. They're paying for really, you know, they're part of the network when you run scale. So, so DeFi is a phenomenal use case for this because we need high throughput. We need fast, uh, fast block times, fast finality. We need composability and interoperability between uh, between these different systems and with with Ethereum, which 
skills built on Ethereum, with Ethereum, around Ethereum, and um, and really is an embedded part of the Ethereum ecosystem. So you know me, I like metaphors, and I think metaphors help people kind of visualize things. So would you kind of think of scale as a Ethernet cable? You know, back in the day, there was dial-up. You remember everyone would go on to AOL Instant Message, and it'd be the hushing, the sound, and the beeps, beeps, and then all of a sudden, we started to have Ethernet cables where you can get, you know, really, really fast speed. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of the same type of, you know, con- construct. It's, you know, you're obviously tapping into the Internet. Is that kind of the way you would think of it? You know, I see hey, from at the end of the day, the simplest way is, yes, we've got things faster, right. <laughs> more reliable, more, you know, uh, and lower, lower costs. But one thing, you know, one thing I think would be really helpful. Like this is, this is something I like to tell to people is we see blockchain right now in this very, unit, and even a lot of the smartest people that work in the space, they see it in its current form. And you think, okay, well, there's a blockchain that all these people use and share. There's one that all these people use and share. And this one's competing with the other one. And everyone's competing to be this big blockchain. That's one blockchain. And then you see this new category rising where, where people have a view that says, you know what, actually the world's going to have a lot of blockchains in it. Right. And, and there's going to be a lot of them and every application is going to have one and businesses and, you know, you're just going to have your own blockchain. Then, you know, how do you get these things to interact and how do you make it cost effective and affordable? Well, these big, big shared state blockchains aren't cost effective and they're slow, but they're really good at immutability and security. And so models like scale and then uh, Polkadot, Cosmos, uh, and some others, we're all going after this space where we think the market's moving and is already moving towards. And, you know, the unique position scale has is that we believe in the Ethereum ecosystem. And so I think you think of these fast cables, but it's, it's almost like everybody has their own compared Mm -hmm. to everybody shares one cable across the world. And, and, you know, this was our vision from back in 2017. We started working on this three years ago. Right. And we also took a very unique approach and that w- the token just got listed last night or yesterday right. and it's up and running. There's 4,000 people that are staking in the network and, and um, you know, the, the thing's up and running and functioning and it's decentralized before there's ever trading, which I, you know, personally am far more comfortable with as somebody who's, you know, a founder mm-hmm. because I, I don't want people trading and using something that, isn't doesn't already work and it isn't already run by you know the group which blockchains are all about right we'll talk a little bit more about the token in a second i wanted to get your thoughts also on some of the use cases in terms of things like sports and prediction markets and gaming and collectibles you know with gaming we tackled that a lot on the show over the last few months because at the end of the day there's over two billion people in the world maybe three billion at this point in time that play games almost on a daily basis that could be Fortnite, that could be Call of Duty, that could be a game on your phone. Um, but there's a lot of gamers out there. And so we've seen this emergence of phase one of games and blockchain around 2014 to phase two and now to coming on to what I would call phase three, where you have this kind of play to earn model where you don't have to connect to MetaMask, you don't have to put up ETH, you can actually play the game and effectively maybe even earn a native digital asset uh, from that game itself. And then you can go on exchanges and you could obviously do the things you want to do with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, gaming, I think, is a very big one going into 21 uh, 21 and 22. Uh, But I would love to hear kind of just 
last thoughts on terms of your use cases for gaming and for this kind of prediction markets that we're starting to see and collectibles? Yeah. So, so great, great question. This is going to be a massively booming space, especially in the next year. And so I'll give, I want to give two broad ends of the spectrum for gaming that uh, I think will be pretty educational Mm -hmm. and how blockchain is leveraged. And they're very different, but I think both will be very successful. And then, and then we'll see a spectrum. So on one end, you have these massive gaming companies that already have users, they have network effects, they've got people waiting for their next game to be launched. And if all of a sudden they, they have so many uh, blockchain features they can take advantage of. And what they'll do is you're going to play a centralized game. You're going to just use Web2. But what they can do is they can connect the results of their servers back to a blockchain and all of a sudden have assets that live on the blockchain and money that is immutable, but the game's just, you know, a game like we play today. And it's really easy for these big gaming companies to do this. And, and you know, and I think they're all watching and observing, they're looking at what they're going to use and they're seeing the growth and the opportunity. Now on the other end of the spectrum, you have games that will live entirely on the blockchain. The actions of the game are on chain. Now, if I do make a play, like let's say I'm playing you in chess and I, you know, or poker, two games where each movement is really critical as it relates to like who could win in this, like, and thinking of poker, not as gambling, but like thinking of that as like a game theory type game. Now, if, you know, some company has a server and I'm, you know, we're all playing for a lot of money. Well, then all this trust then is just with this server and the server is basically telling the blockchain where the money goes. Mm-hmm. And this company, whoever's running the server, has a real profit motive. The the spectrum I'm talking, the part of the spectrum I'm talking about is where the actual gameplay and the actions are on a blockchain. And in scale, that can happen. And you know, it really like low cost. It doesn't really cost you anything compared to right now other blockchains that might cost you like a dollar each time you move do something in the game. That's not cost effective, and it's too slow. And so you're going to start seeing games actually become entirely decentralized and community owned and trustless because all the actions that have an impact on where money goes at the end of the day or assets or collectibles or NFTs, those are the things that are going to start living on chain and they're going to have massive disruption. So you'll see these centralized players use blockchain to grow and create revenue streams and do interesting things. And you'll see decentralized efforts that are already taking place come together and start really, uh, proliferating and percolating because they're taking a completely different approach. And there's also hybrid places in the middle. And um, and blockchain, I think, will transform gaming. It will uh, transform VR. <laughs> uh, it will have a, you know, we're just at the start of this. And, and we've been missing the functionality. And all of a sudden, uh, I think a lot of really great uh, pieces of infrastructure are finally launching to help support that growth. Right. I think blockchain gaming is finally going to get me into a VR headset. I have been allergic to it for years. Everyone else I know in tech and VC has always been, you know, kind of claiming how great it is, but I've always said, well, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm hesitant about, you know, kind of the headache and the kind of whatever. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. But all of a sudden now, you know, shout out to Arthur at Somnian Spaces. He kind of inspired me, you know, I haven't gotten one yet. Um, still thinking about it, but uh, I'm definitely closer to uh, checking that out. And you're you're right, you know the gaming side of blockchain has really kind of uh, accelerated 
Um, and I think we're going to see some great things there uh, going into the next two, three, four years. I want to talk to you about something. Obviously it, that by, by the way, David, I uh, wanted to tell you, I, I literally had my, uh, my Oculus arrived yesterday in the mail. Nice. <laughs> I just no ordered one. Seriously. Wow. Yeah, that's as uh, it's, you can run them now without another machine. It's just like one system, which was, right. I think, part of the... We talk about friction and user adoption. Well, that was a big piece of friction. You had to have a special <laughs> computer and hook it up. And do all, now it's just, you know, you just plug the thing in your television and it works. So. Wow. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. We'll we'll, we'll see. I, I, I As someone who has, you know, obviously adopted some of the most fringe type of technologies, i.e. Bitcoin and digital assets, you know, I I would think that, you know, in my personality that I would be open to this. But for some reason, there's been that hesitance. But I guess that gives me an understanding of why people have obviously been hesitant about obviously adopting our world. And uh, that is slowly uh, deteriorating. I wanted to get your thoughts on, obviously, uh, a very, you know, monumentous kind of launch that happened today. Uh, the move from ETH uh, to ETH2, uh, where we're going from proof of work to proof of stake. What do you think about it? And what are the implications for scale? Oh, yeah. This was a huge milestone. It, you know, We're incredibly excited about it at scale. We've been building with this in, in part of the product market fit design since the beginning. I mean, since we've been building this, people, they've been built, trying to, you know, been building and working on ETH2.0. Um, so one thing is, you know, you think about scale actually being a criti- like critically built on Ethereum, mm-hmm. uh, half of scales on the Ethereum mainnet and the other half's running in the scale nodes. So, um, I, you know, I think the scale network will slowly take its time to move over, which I think we're still like, you know, a long time out till we start seeing applications being run. Um, you know, we have, we have staking, we have the base layer, like the base component of the network up. But um, the other piece of that is our, you know, the dApps that run on scale when they use ETH2, we're excited about being able to give them even more scalability and basically giving them their own lane. And the simplest analogy is ETH2 now has 32 lanes instead of one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And these lanes have to be able to talk to each other where, and then the scale network might have, you know, 20,000 lanes where each car gets its own lane or application. And so there's, it's really designed now. Hey, if there's only 20,000 users that use Ethereum a month, great. E2 will probably suffice, but we're mm-hmm. building for a world where I believe we're going to have tens of millions pretty soon using Ethereum a day and hundreds of millions in the not too distant future. So um, we're pumped about it. I'm really happy. I know a lot of the people working on E2 and, and I'm very excited for them. And I think it will mean very good things for the scale community, which really is a, a part of the Ethereum community. Right. And a special shout out to the developers that have been spending the last few years doing that. I know it's been hard and I know there have been, you know, struggles and I know there have been setbacks, but you, perse- you know, persevered and you've gotten through it. And uh, we're all hoping that uh, we see great things from this. Now, thinking about and uh, discussing the, obviously you guys went live with your your token, uh, and as I mentioned before, that is now on Binance, on Hoboy, and on Uniswap. And we don't talk about kind of, you know, price or reasons for price or any of that stuff. That's for the market to decide. You know, there's supply and demand, and this is the way, this is just the way the assets go. So we're not going to have that conversation. But I think for those that are out there, what are, you know, what does the, the token represent? Is it similar to the likes that we've seen with Uniswap and some of the others out there where it's more of a governance type of token where people can obviously hold it and 
uh, you know, obviously with governance calls, they can obviously, you know, stake it uh, for improvements for scale. What are some of the use cases for the token right now? Yeah, and 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 by the way, I just want to reiterate that yeah, scale is actually a utility token. So I, I'm not, uh, I don't talk about the price, and I think you know for a lot of reasons. But one, just I want, yeah, I feel like it's my job to educate people on its purpose and what it okay. does because it actually is software that functions in the network. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a share of ownership. It's it's a piece of software. So this, I talked earlier about these network effects that help really ultimately help developers. And so when you rent a scale chain, you, you're actually renting a piece of this big network and the network in this really, uh, I think, uh, very innovative and uh, you know, cool way can then all of a sudden deliver you this blockchain resource across all of these different nodes and rotate the resources for security. When you buy that, you actually pay in the scale token. Okay, that's that's one component. The other piece is all of these nodes or computers that are running the blockchain. Each one of them has to have a certain amount of of scale locked into it. And at right now, I believe it's it's somewhere around one point eight million dollars, roughly one point seven, one point six. That's that's collateralized behind each node in the network. So these nodes are have a lot of collateral against them that spell security. If you're a developer thinking about you know, renting a component of 16 of them at any given time. Um, the other piece here is that there's a whole staking component. People that people can, let's say somebody, the token just listed, let's say I go over to Binance, I go over to Uniswap, I go to Huobi and I buy a token. Well, you know what, instead of just keeping it in my wallet, I can stake it in the network and then I'm going to get paid for that activity. And every month I get paid because I'm collateralizing the network. And that's a whole component. That's a whole premise man proof of stake is instead of having these miners compete with energy and other mechanisms mm-hmm. and speed, everyone's collaborating together and they're putting money at risk together to show that they'll behave well. That's the, that's the game theory component of proof of stake. So right. it's an opportunity for people who have tokens to get a return and even a compounding return by keep putting them back into the network. And then, um, and then the people that run these servers, when people get paid that are staking, they get a cut of that. And so you have this microeconomy that's really coordinated and driven and bolstered by the scale token and the value of that token. I think one of the questions that we address, and that was a great explanation, by the way. Um, and, you know, in this new world, I want to make sure people understand this. The design that you just laid out really was not in existence universally or was not really thought about as a paradigm two years ago. I'm not going to, it wasn't, you know, few and far between, if any, you know, basically this is a new paradigm, the game theoretics, the incentive models that Jack just laid out were not really around two years ago. Um, And so it takes a lot of ingenuity. It takes a lot of thinking. um, And so I congratulate you on the, on kind of the explanation there. With the node operators, I think this is an interesting one. So for those, again, that are learning about this world, is there, and again, I know the answer to this, but, you know, they don't. Is there an infinite amount of node operators? How do you actually, you know, pick and choose? I know, obviously, there's a process there. But, you know, do you see, you know, a, a problem or an, any issue 
in the near term future. You're obviously you need to have more and more of these coming on so you can build more and more of those lanes for people out there as you see expansion of Ethereum and you see expansion of the subsectors of Ethereum and more uses. You know, talk to us about kind of the economics or the kind of the amount of node operators out there and how do you actually get more people involved to do that? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, we're starting to peel the onion back a little more on the economics. And this stuff is incredibly interesting. I have to say, it's just intellectually stimulating. So mm-hmm. the goal is, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk really high level first mm-hmm. and then we'll go deep. So right now I'm a game, I use Amazon. Guess mm-hmm. what? Amazon runs a bunch of servers. In scale, anybody listening here could literally go run a server and add it to the network. <laughs> what typically happens though, are these professional shops that are smaller companies and and it's a booming space, but they collectively are the Amazon Web Services. And they have all these servers, these DevOps teams, infrastructure, and these validators, we call them, or validator operators come and they plug these servers in. Now, I said that there's about 1.6 you know, million, uh, 1.8 million-ish uh, in, behind each one of these nodes. Well, what happens is each node can have up to uh, 20 million scale tokens in each node. As soon as you get to 20 million and one, you start getting less return across all of the stake in that node. And so the game theory then is, as you as an operator say, hey, I got, I got another investor, another firm, another individual, all these people to keep staking to me. Now I'm at you know, 42 million. I'm going to set up the second node so I can optimize the return for all these people. And so what happens is you keep motivating people to keep setting up new servers. And there's also these halving mechanisms where all of a sudden it'll go down to 10 million per server and then 5 million. And then, you know, these happen programmatically to keep, you know, where you're not losing value per node in collateral, but you're making it easier for these node operators to keep setting up more nodes and get more return if they have more nodes running. And so then this can grow like the internet, frankly, and it's limitless and, you know, and it's not infinitely, infinitely limitless. I mean, maybe at some point if there were a million nodes in the network, like, you know, uh, well, you know, there's these shared resources across them, but I then, Hey, I th- I'm sure we'd find uh, answers to, right. you know, their talking and we'd fix those scaling issues as we go, but it's designed to grow and become the next decentralized cloud. So that's, that's really why we think what we think of scale is, the, the first stepping stone is layer two scalability for Ethereum. The next one is the decentralized cloud for the Ethereum ecosystem. And we think the blockchain ecosystem of the future. So that's, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly. Um, I didn't expect anything less from you on that one. Um, as we're wrapping up, where can people, again, we'll have show notes and uh, we'll put a link to the blog, but anyone who's listening right now, and again, this is going out on Wednesday, December 2nd. So anyone who's listening to it on Wednesday, which is tomorrow, it's kind of like we're Michael Keaton, we're gonna going into the DeLorean, kind of fast forwarding to tomorrow. Anyone who's listening, uh, where can they find out more about scale and potentially uh, get more involved? Yeah, so... I, I recommend going to scale.network, S-K-A-L-E dot network, and uh, www.scale.network, and you'll get access to all the resources. Um, you can follow me at Jack O'Halloran on Twitter, but come to the website and that will guide you through, uh, I think, different learning paths depending on who you are, allow you, uh, you know, uh, to get involved and, and learn and, and, you know, come be a part of the community even. So, um, so would welcome anybody, uh, and, and you can also see the different validator partners. If mm-hmm. you're looking at staking, 
Um, you can see the different um, firms and supporters that uh, have backed the network that um, support the network and our avenues too to you know getting exposure and staking. So uh, yeah, I think you know going to the website's a great start, David. Awesome. Again, this has been a pleasure because I've been now kind of keeping tabs on you guys there at scale for over a year, and if not over a year and a half, maybe two years now. And so I am happy to hear about the successes, and I know there's been a lot of hard work by you and your team. Congratulations to all. Again, this was Jack at Scale. Check him out. We'll have show notes, and everyone uh, be safe and be good. Take care. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.